If we could summarize our text this morning in one sentence, I believe this is the sentence. Live for the future unseen promises of God. Friends, God commands us here in this text to live for the future unseen promises of God. Remember that chapter 11 is called the faith chapter. So we must interpret every verse in chapter 11 through the lens of faith. And simply to review with you, what is faith? Well, faith, according to Hebrews 11.1, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is being sure of things hoped for. Those things hoped for are God's future promises. Faith, faith is being certain of things not seen. Those unseen things are the promises of God. So faith lives for the future unseen promises of God now. And if you were paying attention during the worship, we sang this morning almost exclusively about that kind of faith. From Wally's song to Awake, Awake, O Zion, we we were singing of things that are yet to come that are unseen with the natural eye. But, oh, friends, these are the things that we should live for. These are the promises we should live for. These promises should be included in what we live for. And that's what our text talks about. The fathers of faith are what the Bible calls the patriarchs of faith, lived for God's future unseen promises. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and Joseph... All of them are mentioned here. They all had forward-looking faith that saw the future, brought it into the present through being sure about it, and they saw the unseen promises of God, and they were certain about them today. Their lives were regulated by God's promises. And so for us, we must ask ourselves, are our lives regulated by God's promises? Do we live, now pay attention, this is a very important point here for all of us. For me, oh friends, I'm preaching to myself here. Do I live, do we live for God's future unseen promises? Or do we subtly, and perhaps not so subtly, Do we now, have we begun to live for the world's present, visible promises? So on one hand, you have God's future, unseen promises. On the other hand, you have the world's visible, very seen promises. And not all of them are bad. Good education, a good job, security, a country that is free. These are all good things. But these are not the ultimate things. And if these are the only promises we live for, to the exclusion of these, and if these promises take precedence over these promises of God, then we find ourselves muddled. We find ourselves discouraged. The, The noise of this world keeps our heads down. And God gently, through the gospel, lifts our heads up. So that like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and Joseph, we can see the unseen. The future becomes now as our lives are regulated by these future promises. That's the point of this message. So let's examine the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Sarah, all inductees to God's hall of fame and see what forward-looking faith, 
in the promises of God looks like. In our sermon, we're going to carefully look at the promises of God, the promises God used to capture their hearts and to regulate their lives. Why? So that our hearts would be captured and our lives would be regulated by God's promise. So let's jump into verse 8 and begin with Abraham. And the first promise here, it's faith in God's promised city. Faith in God's promised city, verses 8 to 10, speak to us about that faith. Let's read them again. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Here's the key, verse 10. For he was looking forward. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What does forward-looking faith in the future promises of God look like? It looks like obedience. Now, you can't get away from that in verse 8. Abraham obeyed God by leaving the country in which he was very comfortable, Ur of the Chaldeans, modern-day Iraq. And he took the long journey into present-day Israel. He left all his family, all his friends, all his, his former life. He picked up and left. That was difficult. He lived for God's future unseen promise of a land, this land of inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going, but he went out knowing who was calling him to go there. Abraham focused on God's utter dependability. God said, get up, Abraham, and go. Abraham knew God because God revealed himself to Abraham, and he said, I'll go based on your word, on the dependability of your word. I don't even know where I'm going, but I know the one who's calling me to go there. That's what forward-looking faith looks like, my friends. Oh, may we live for God's promises like Abraham, the father of our faith, did. Let us face uncertain futures by trusting in God's word. Is your future uncertain? Trust in God's word. That's the point. Trust in God's word. You see, living for God's promises meant that Abraham would now go live in a land of promise, catch this, as a foreigner. I want you to look at verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So the same faith tells him to leave his land and go to the promised land, but the same faith says when you get to the promised land, I want you to live there as a foreigner, as a resident alien. You're not going to be naturalized in this country. You will not have the right to vote. You will have very limited rights, and I want you to live in tents. Tents. What? Why did he live in tents? People who live in tents are campers. They are not there permanently. I don't like camping. Corey Smidgen loves camping. But if I'm going to inherit a country, guess what? I'm building a house. I'm not living in a camper. Abraham lived in a camper. He lived in a tent. Look at verse 10. Why? Why did these men who had the promises, Jacob and Isaac were heirs of the same promise. Why did they live in tents? Look at verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Tents don't have foundations. 
clearly he was not to settle in the land on this earth. Though it was the promised land, technically. But, oh, friends, it pointed to a better place. It pointed to a city with foundations. A city not of this world. We sang about that city today. We sang about that city today. Abraham saw the city by faith. So therefore, he left his comfortable home and his beautiful 10-bedroom house and Ur of the Chaldeans and all his wealth and all his peoples as an older gentleman. And he went to a place that was the promised land but says, you know what? I'm a foreigner here. I'm a resident alien. I'm going to live in a tent. I'm going to rent a camper and an RV. (laughs) Why? Because I see a better city that has a foundation. Oh, this is so good for us. Do we live here as resident aliens and foreigners, metaphorically speaking, in tents, looking for the city of God? Does our faith reach forward into the future to look at that city? Does, is our faith seeing the unseen city? Would you like to see it? Turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. I believe this is what Abraham saw. Believe what you will. I believe this is what he saw. I believe all of these men in the Old Testament saw things in shadows and down the quarters of time that would astound us because I believe what they saw in the future they brought into the present by their faith and though they never saw, they never received the good of it, they lived for it. And this is what Abraham lived for. And this is what we should live for. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. Do you have tears this morning? Is there sadness in your heart? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death, do you hate death as much as I do? Death is a horrible thing. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Skip down to verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, and on the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, on the west, three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. The chief cornerstone is Christ. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And skip down now 
to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, friends, the noise of this world obscures the reality of God's city. May we not settle in this world, but rather live in tents, The earth is in our home, dear friends, yet we are greatly tempted to live for the perishable treasures of this world. Our hearts are lured to set deep roots, even build foundations in the empty promises of the here and now that deceive us to believe that happiness and fulfillment are achieved through the accumulation of money, degrees, houses, possessions, relationships. These things aren't in and of themselves evil, no. But those who have placed their faith in Christ are to live in pursuit of the promised city of God and not settle for the city of man. Oh, dear friends, let us live for God's promised city. Point two. If we live for the unseen future promises of God, then we're going to live by faith in God's promised son. Look at verse 11. Back, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. And look at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, she was probably around 90, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, that being Abraham, and him as good as dead, he was 99, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. What we see here, friends is a picture of faith in the future that brings it into the present. Now, you got to know something. Abraham and Sarah initially laughed at God when he made this promise. If you look at, we don't have time now, but if you look at Genesis 17 and Genesis 18, I mean, Abraham literally fell on his face laughing when God said, I'm going to come and your wife, change your wife's name from Sarah to Sarah. She's going to be the mother of many nations. And he laughed. And then when, when he came back and told Abraham, Sarah was at the door of the tent. She heard it. And she kind of went, ha, 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 ha. She just started laughing. Hardly faith. Hardly faith. So why are they called, why, are they, why is he the father of faith? Let me tell you why. Because that son that was promised, Isaac, was not the ultimate son who was promised, but rather this son, Isaac, would be be part of the long line, part of those descendants who would finally give birth to one son, capital S, Jesus Christ, born, born of the sons of Israel, born to bring blessings to the world as God promised through Abraham, you will be a blessing to all the world. And I believe that Abraham saw that son. And I believe that Abraham trusted that son so that when Abraham stood before God, he said, oh God, I believe you based on that son. And that son I learned from Hebrews 10 sacrificed his life so that Abraham and Sarah would be forgiven. 
And they would have confidence to draw near to God even though they blew it and they laughed at God. But Jesus sacrificed that son of Abraham, perfects, sanctifies, qualifies them to draw near to God. And we know from Hebrews 6 that it's impossible to please God without faith because the one who draws near to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who, who seek him. And so Abraham and Sarah, they were, they were cleansed. They were blessed. They had faith to believe through Jesus. Don't you see? That's, that's what Hebrews is all about. We fallen, broken, sinful people are made acceptable to holy God through the greater sacrifice of Christ, through the greater priesthood of Christ, through the greater covenant that Christ initiates, through Christ who's greater than all. Therefore, we are sons of Abraham, according to Galatians, because we're sons and daughters of faith. Not faith in what we can do, but faith in what God can do. It is possible to please God by faith. And Abraham did by faith, and he received the promise by faith. A son was born. Let us live for God's promised son. Oh, dear friends. Third point. Let us live for faith in God's promised citizenship. Look at verse 13. These. The these there is pointing back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah. These, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, what is happening here is that having died they were justified because they saw from a distance God's city. They saw from a distance God's promises. And they lived for citizenship in that city. That's what it says in verse 14. First of all, in verse 13, they were strangers and exiles on earth. Therefore, they were not accepting citizenship on earth. They were looking for citizenship in heaven. And in verse 14, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. Now, back then, it was very important. People sought a homeland. People loved their country. I mean, today we love our countries, but even more so then, finding a homeland was important. And they realized, this earth's not my home. I'm seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, or of the Chaldeans, they would have had the opportunity to return. But... As it is, they didn't return, by the way. As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So these men and women lived for the citizenship of heaven. Their faith was in the future that God provided and promised in heaven. They looked for God's citizenship in God's city. And what was the result? Oh, friends, look at verse 16. B, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he, is, he has prepared a city for them. Imagine this. In Exodus 3, 6, when God introduces himself to Moses, what does he say? I am the God of 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wasn't ashamed to be called their God. Now, if you know anything about these patriarchs, they lived less than perfect lives. They did things that were not nice. They lied. One of them offered, actually two of them, offered his wife to a king so the king wouldn't kill him. They, 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 they stole birthrights. So how is it that God is not ashamed to be called their God? Here is why. Because they had a dogged faith that God's word is true. They took God at his word. They said, God, we believe you, and we are living our lives on the future unseen promises that now we see by grace down in the future. It says there they saw them from afar. They died in faith without having received the promises, but they acknowledged them. They saw them from afar. There they are. That's what I'm living for. I'm going to live in a tent. I'm going to renounce citizenship on this earth. Listen, there's no dual citizenship in the kingdom of God. You're either a citizen of this earth or you're a citizen of heaven. They said we're citizens of heaven, so we're going to live like exiles and strangers here. We're looking for a better country. We desire a, a homeland, and it's not here. Our citizenship is in heaven, is yours, is yours. The story is told about a missionary named Henry Morrison who was returning to America after faithfully serving Christ for 40 years in Africa. The same boat also bore home the wildly popular President Theodore Roosevelt, who had been in Africa on a safari. As they entered New York Harbor, the president was greeted with a huge fanfare, Henry Morrison felt rather dejected. After all, he had spent four decades in Africa, completely denying himself in the Lord's service, while Roosevelt had only went there to hunt some animals. The crowds were cheering. The bands were playing. There were signs and banners and billboards everywhere for the president saying, Welcome home! The dear missionary and his wife, with their luggage in hand, quietly made their way to the deck of the ship to exit. No one had come to welcome them back home. There were no bands playing or banners flying in their honor. Henry Morrison went to his hotel room with a rather heavy heart. As he sat there on the bed, he asked his wife, Honey, for 40 years we poured our lives into ministry and service, and yet we come home back to America, and not a single soul comes to welcome us home. His wife came and sat down next to her husband. She put her hand on his shoulder and said to him, Henry, you've forgotten something. You're not home yet. You're not home yet, Henry. You see, if my citizenship is in heaven, I will endure whatever abuse that a resident alien, a foreigner, will endure here. I will understand that this is not my home. People are not going to celebrate me. I'm going to be attacked. I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to live in a tent. When it rains, I might get wet. It's going to leak. But my citizenship is in an unseen city that's yet to come. A city, the city of God, and I'm a citizen of that city. And I'm not going to get too comfortable here. Because I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. And finally, to live for the future unseen promises of God means to live in faith in God's promised resurrection power. God's promised resurrection power. Look at verse 17. 
by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So what we read here is a recounting of Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is written when Abraham was well into maybe 115, 16, 17 years old. Uh, Isaac was a teenager, maybe as old as 18. He's the son of promise. Here is Isaac, laughter. He's been laughter for me all these years. He's the son of promise. And one day God says to Abraham, you get ready for faith that lives, for a life that lives, for the future unseen promises of God. Well, here's one of its characteristics. It obeys God even when God says, sacrifice the very son of promise. Sacrifice him, please, Abraham. I want you to take him to Mount Moriah. Many people say that that is modern-day Israel, perhaps the Temple Mount, perhaps. The symbolism, the typology is rich here. And he goes to Mount Moriah, and he says, God will bring my son back to life. God will provide a sacrifice. He will provide a ram for the offering. We pick it up here in verse 19. And he, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he died and received him back. Friends, resurrection faith receives life after from death. It receives life from death. Resurrection faith overcomes the death and the destruction and the sin and all the stuff that this world throws at us and Satan throws at us and our flesh throws at us. It brings life out of death. Listen, Abraham believed God. He told his, um, his servants, we're coming back, the boy and I. So wait for us. And he went up and he tied him up and he put him on the the wood. In fact, I'm sure Isaac had to climb up there because I doubt Abraham could have lifted him up there. So Isaac willingly goes up on the sacrifice. Do you see the typology? Why did Abraham sacrifice the son of promise, by the way, the only begotten son? Because Abraham saw by faith down the quarters of time the son of promise, Jesus, and the only begotten son of God, and that he is the sacrifice, and that he would raise from the dead, and he believed God, that God would raise his son from the dead because he saw the resurrected Christ. He lived today in the reality of a future promise. That's what resurrection faith does. It does not look at my present circumstances and try to figure it all out. You know what, God? It's up to you to reconcile the promise that all my descendants are coming from this guy and the command to, offer, to sacrifice him. You're going to reconcile that, not me. I'm just going to obey and trust you and die because you're going to bring me back to life. And that's exactly what God did. And Isaac, Isaac in verse 20, follows his father's example. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau were not choir boys. Jacob and Esau were seriously flawed. In fact, the process of receiving the blessing included deception on Jacob's part to steal the blessing from Esau and then murderous, hateful thoughts on Esau's part to kill Jacob. But God blessed them. God blessed them through, Jake, through uh, Isaac. 
Because Isaac saw the resurrection faith of Christ, that Christ's resurrection would, would enable us to have our sins forgiven, and that God's grace, God's working in Christ, changes us so that I don't judge people based on the present sin I see in their life. I see them as God sees them in resurrection power. So a liar, Jacob, becomes a prince, Israel. His name was literally changed from Jacob, deceiver, to Israel, prince. The sons of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel are the children of Jacob. By what? By the resurrection power of God. Friend, we bring it to our present reality when we see others and see ourselves, not based on the sin that is so staring us in the eyes right now, but based on the resurrection power and promise of sanctification that Jesus brings. And Jacob. Jacob does the same thing. Verse 21 follows his father's pattern. By faith, Jacob, when dying, what you see here is a motif of all these men, when dying, we're going to see it with Joseph, when dying, these men are dying, but they're dying in faith, not receiving the promise because they see the promise from afar today and live today as if it is a reality. This is the mark of men and women of faith. But Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By the way, the sons of Joseph and Joseph represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. See, resurrection faith is faith in God, and it worships God. One who lives for the future unseen promises of God, he's a worshiper. He worships God. He blesses other, worshiping God. The posture of blessing others is in worshiping God. P.T. O'Brien in his commentary says this, By the end of his life, Jacob bows his head in worship of God, laying claim to the future through the exercise of faith in the present for the realization of the promises of God. That's what Jacob did. When we live for God's future unseen promises, friends, by the resurrection power of Christ, our relationships with others are regulated by the very promises we live for. Others don't exist to move forward our selfish, uh, our selfish, self-centered agendas, but we live to advance and proclaim God's promises to our kids, to our spouses, to our friends, to our neighbors, to this world. And we see this illustrated with our final inductee to the Hall of Fame this morning, Joseph. You see, Joseph, Joseph exhibits resurrection faith. Oh my. By seeing something that wouldn't happen for 400 years, the Exodus. Joseph closes this particular induction to the Hall of Faith the same way the book of Genesis closes. And I'd like to read that to you because it is very, very insightful. Look look at Genesis chapter 50. Genesis 50, please. Last book of, last chapter of the book of Genesis The account of the patriarchs is going to come to a close with Joseph's death. And listen to what scripture says about Joseph and his resurrection faith or his faith in the resurrection power of God. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you. And bring you up out of this land, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, 
God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died. Being 110 years old, they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. But though he was in a coffin in Egypt, he still spoke by his faith and his declaration on his deathbed. Joseph had spent 93 years in Egypt. He was 17 when he arrived there as a slave. And he died at 110 years old, but he never got comfortable in Egypt, friends. His home was not Egypt. He lived for the unseen future promise of God for another place, a better place. Joseph had it all in Egypt. Power, position, favor, wealth beyond imagination. But his heart was not consumed with these things. His heart was consumed with God's future promises. His orientation was to the future. God's promised future is ours. He longed for that future by faith. Like Wally said in his song, do we long for this day? We know there's a place that's, that's there for us at the table of God. Do we live with that future orientation? Oh, the world screams at us to forget the future and live now. God says, no, remember the future. Look to the future. Believe the future. It's my future. He longed for it by faith. And that is why God was not ashamed to be called as God. You see, Joseph... Joseph could speak of the Exodus some 400 years away. This country is not even 300 years old. 400 years later is when when the Exodus would happen. But Joseph is speaking of it then as if it were a present reality. Swear to me you'll take my bones in 400 years. Can you imagine? That's what faith does. He experienced. He he said that not because he experienced it with his eyes, but because he saw it with the eyes of faith. P.T. O'Brien says, Joseph's faith was in the future for the people of God beyond their present circumstances. Joseph's faith was for the future of the people of God beyond their present circumstances. This is resurrection faith. This is faith in the resurrection power of God. Living for God's promises means seeing beyond the present circumstances in our lives, friends. It means seeing beyond the present circumstances in the lives of others to the future promised by God. We are not defined by our present circumstances, but by God's future promises. Let us see ourselves and others in the light of God's future promises, in the light of how God sees them. We will, we will be sanctified. We will be like Jesus one day. This is our hope, parents, for the child who is wayward. This is our hope for those who are fast bound in sin. This is our hope for ourselves who are caught in patterns of sin that can be so discouraging. We live by faith in the future for the people of God that looks beyond their present circumstances. We live in God's future for God's people at Sovereign Grace Ministries beyond the present circumstances. We live for God's future for God's people at Palm Vista Community Church beyond our present circumstances. We live in God's future for those around us, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, beyond their present circumstances. Look beyond what someone appears to you right now in the natural and see how God sees them. The resurrection power of God can make it happen. We live for God's future in our lives, beyond our present circumstances. Friends, because God is utterly dependable, we live for his promises, his future unseen promises, and we allow them to regulate our lives and our tongues and our minds, our pocketbooks, our calendars. Live for God's future unseen promises, 
and God will not be ashamed to be called your God. He called himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to Moses in Exodus 3. Today he calls himself the God of, fill your name. Fill in your name right there. And he does it joyfully because you live for the future unseen promises of God by the very faith that he has given you. He draws you by Christ's sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this word would give us great faith this morning. For there are great troubles on this earth. Some in this room are experiencing those troubles more severely and closely than others. But all of us, Lord, are tempted to be a little too comfortable on this earth. We enjoy the privileges we have here. We are tempted to, make our, to transfer our citizenship to this earth. We're tempted to be naturalized here on this earth. But, oh, Lord, your word says in Philippians 3.20 that we are citizens of heaven. We have been supernaturalized into the citizenship of heaven. And may we not forfeit that citizenship and foolishly become naturalized on this earth. But it's a big temptation, Lord. The more comfortable we get, help us. Help us to live our lives for the future unseen promises that you give us. Oh, Lord, the promise of your city in heaven, the promise, oh, Lord, of your son who came supernaturally by two individuals who were dead in their ability to have children, but you made them alive to have a son just like we were dead in our ability to please you, but you made us alive in Christ. May we live by faith in that son. May we live by, the, for the, by faith in the citizenship you offer us. And may we live by the faith of your resurrection power in Christ. By the sacrifice of Christ. By the blood of Christ. We draw near this morning. Oh, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just quietly... Uh, meditate on this word. Let us ponder it. We're going to use this song that we're going to sing, uh, the blood of Jesus. If you want to stand, you maybe stand. If you want to stay seated, stay seated. It's a time now to just commune with the Lord and let him speak to you about living a life of faith in the future unseen promises of God.